You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Uh, would you greet the people around you for a while? Greet them a good morning. Come on. Well, I'm glad all of you are here uh, this morning. I do understand it's a, you know, the the weather perhaps is perfect for making dulog dulog, right? So, so yeah, uh, we are uh, finish, uh, finishing up on our series called First of First Importance. Um, if, you remember, if you remember, we had this series back in the month of March, and uh, we are simply uh, looking into it once again for the last time, uh, simply because today is Pentecost Sunday, all right? So, um, so I'd like for us to turn our Bibles for a while to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Okay, turn your Bibles for a while. Can I ask all of us to stand on our feet to show respect and reverence for God's Word? All right, I'll wait for all of you to turn with me. To First Corinthians chapter two, all right. So uh, that's right after the book of Romans. And then, um, if you are in First Corinthians chapter two, uh, we will cover. We will read verses one down to verse five. So we have five verses here today, uh, but we will refer to uh, a verse in chapter one of the same chapter. I mean, of the same book, okay? So let me just read this for everyone. It says here, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that faith, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's all pray for our Lord. We thank you for today. God, we come before your holy presence. And indeed, Lord, we worship you corporately. We worship you, Lord, individually. Uh, Lord, in our own lives, Lord, with our singing. Uh, Lord, even with our prayers. Lord, even as we look into, Lord, a specific section, God, of what Paul has written for the church in Corinth. God, Lord, we know for a fact, Lord, that this, uh, Lord, uh, reverberates, God, to our very uh, time and generation right now. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for allowing us, Lord, a, a, a glimpse, Lord, of a certain structure that you would want us to use, God, every time we're going to preach the gospel, every time we're going to preach your word. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would realign, Lord, give us the grace, Lord, that we get to realign, perhaps, Lord, recover, Lord, things that, may Lord, that we may have deviated from, God. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for your grace, Lord, be made manifest, Lord, even at this very time. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated now. Okay, so, all right, so let me just say a few things for a while as we look into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, you know, yesterday, um, I officiated uh, the wedding of one of our volunteers, one of our former students here in this church. And, you know, um, you know, Crystal, uh, you know, uh, is married to a Polish man, okay, and both of them will 
uh, stay or move uh, to the Netherlands. All right, so uh, they will both move to the Netherlands, and it's just interesting to see how that works. You know, if you if you're looking at the uh, you know the the life of this person, and th this goes with many of you. We realize one thing. You know, the same with Crystal. You know, Kiko used to be here, uh, one of her students to be discipled, and eventually, okay, uh, they all leave the city of Dumaguete. All right. So, I was just messaging with I was just messaging uh, Martin. Okay, uh, Tayong, one of our leaders here before, and he's now he used to be based here, then was based in Cebu. And it's now based in Manila. And he would tell me about the different Victory Dumaguete people that he got to meet okay, in Manila. And it's just interesting to think that the reality of our ministry here is that we have to embrace the fact that we have a transitory one. All right? So the people that are surrounding you right now might not be here in the coming months or years. Not because they have backslidden, I hope not, but it is just because they would move somewhere else, perhaps after college, or uh, they would move somewhere else because of a certain job opportunity. So I'm saying that because as a local church, as Victory Dumaguete, the movement in this ministry, in this church, is quite frequent. All right, there's a frequency that we get to see. You know, we've, we've already embraced this fact early on. Okay, the church has celebrated, or sorry, okay, uh, we are celebrating our 20th year anniversary. Okay, um, and we've seen this over, uh, over the past how many years? The movement of people is quite frequent. That's why there is a sense of urgency in discipling every single one of us here. The reason why I'm sharing that and uh, this is also the reason why I have messaged uh, the Victory Group leaders in this church and told them uh, that this Sunday sermon is a need-to-hear sermon. This is something that we all need to hear. So if your friends in the church are not here, please tell them to make sure that they would attend our 3 p.m. or our 5 p.m. service later. Now, I'm, I'm, the, the, uh, let me, that's, a, that's an introduction to what I'm going to say. Listen. When God brings you somewhere, right, uh, I often receive these inquiries asking me to help people, asking me to help them look or locate a certain church in a different city, okay, the city at which they're going to move in. And here's what I want to submit to everyone, and I am submitting this not as a matter of preference, but there is a solid biblical reason to this suggestion. Okay, and here it is. When God brings you somewhere, you cannot and should not choose a church for the secondary reasons. Alright? By saying that, what I meant to say is, you cannot move somewhere and choose a church just because of its excellent facilities. You cannot move somewhere and choose a church just because of a huge parking lot or perhaps just because of its location or proximity to your new home. I am saying that because I want us to understand that the primary reason that you have to factor in, and here it is, 
The primary reason that you have to factor in in choosing a church down the road is the pulpit. The preaching that comes out in the pulpit. Not the facilities, not the lights, not the good-looking singers, not the warm ushers. Are you folks with me? But the preaching on the pulpit. Amen. The preaching on the pulpit. I hope and pray that time will come wherein when God moves you somewhere, even if you attend a church that has no air conditioning system or whatever, that has a tight parking lot, but as long as the Word of God is biblically and faithfully preached on the pulpit, then that is your church. That is going to be your church. Why am I saying that? Because the pulpit friends... The pulpit is the rudder of the church. As the rudder of the ship dictates where the ship goes, where the pulpit goes in a certain church, the church goes. And where the church goes, so does your spiritual life. That is how important the pulpit is. Are you folks with me? That is how integral the, the pulpit is. So what we have here today... What we have here today in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is God's prescribed, alright? God's prescribed, not mine, alright? Not any person out there, not any scholars out there, but this is God's prescribed kind of preaching for the church today, alright? God's prescribed preaching for the church today. So how will this benefit you? How will this sermon this morning benefit every single one of us? First, it will benefit you in three ways. First, it will help you in choosing a certain church to go to. Alright? Secondly, it will help us as a local church by God's grace. Okay, but by God's grace to keep adhering to what the Bible teaches us. What kind of preaching should we be preaching? If ever we deviate from this, if ever any of our preachers here would deviate from this, feel free to come up to the preacher and remind the preacher of this specific preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And thirdly, it benefits us this way. It will benefit you in your own preaching. Alright? It will benefit you in your own preaching. Because at the end of the day, all of us here would preach to our friends out there, right? We all gather to church on a Sunday, but we are sent out there to become missionaries. Amen. So all of us at one point in our life are expected to preach. I forgot who the scholar is. Alright, slipped my mind. But he did say that a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is expected of us to, be, to live missional life when we're going to preach the gospel. Now, let's read this now. In verse 1, it says here, And when I came to you, brothers, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
And I was with you in witness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let me just first zero in on the first verse. It says here, And I, when I came to you, brothers, by the way, this is Paul, he said, I did not come to you proclaiming, okay, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So let me just say this as early as now, all right? So people would say, okay, people would say, journals would say, uh, whatever subscriptions that you may have right now, uh, you know, um, Google websites would say that there is something wrong with the church in our generation. All right? Now, here's what I want to submit to everyone. The greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy in our church today, all right? Uh, the greatest tragedy in our church today is the fact that we have an abundance of communicators behind the pulpit. That's our greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy of the church today is that we have an abundance of slick and cool communicators and influencers placed behind the pulpit. Sometimes they are communicators, sometimes they are clowns, but they are never preachers. Just because someone can communicate doesn't mean someone is a preacher. At least according to the guidelines that we see in God's Word. The problem with our church today, okay, with the church in general, by the way, is the fact that the church okay, has already traded what? Has already traded exposition for entertainment. We have traded what? We have traded doctrine for drama. We have traded theology for theatrics. Meaning to say we have we have gone from we have gone from good to worse. Because we have an abundance of preachers who pretend to be preachers. First Corinthians chapter 2. The verses that we've read is the kind of preaching prescribed by God. All right? It is the kind of preaching that we all need to recover. And this is the kind of preaching that should dominate in our pulpit. Are you folks with me? This is the kind of preaching that should, dominate, uh, that should be dominating our pulpit or fill our pulpit. And let me just tell this to everyone. It matters to God. Everybody say, it matters to God. It matters to God how His Word is preached. It matters to God how His Word is preached. It matters to God what we preach. So both method, methods and message actually matter to God. Alright? Both method and message matters to the Lord. Now, let me just give a good context for this. You know, Corinth, okay, Corinth was a wealthy city, all right? It was a metropolis. The thing with the city of Corinth is, if you, if you look at, if you look at the, 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 uh, the, the, the geography of this uh, during the time of Paul, we would understand that 45 miles 
below the city of Corinth is the city of Athens. Or was the city of Athens. The thing there was, in Athens, there was a, I would say, um, you know, Athenians and Corinthians were the super elites of their time. Alright? They were the super elites of their time. And in Athens, there was a certain cultural elite Okay, uh, that, that to which the, the philosophers would be classified in. All right, so the thing here was what was happening in Athens were making its way to Corinth. Catch it? What was happening in Athens were making its way to Corinth. So Paul started writing this letter because to a certain extent, the church in Corinth was deviating from the standard that God has given them. Alright? So, what was happening in the city of Corinth? Okay, let me just say two things with regards to what we've just read. Okay, uh, we don't, you don't have to go there, but it says here, okay, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Look at this one. With lofty speech or wisdom. Okay? So, what was celebrated in Athens? Okay, what was celebrated in Athens? Here's what was celebrated in Athens. In Athens at that time, oratorical skills were celebrated. Human wisdom was celebrated. So these two things, oratorical skills and human wisdom, were making their way up to the city of Corinth. To the point that at one point, you know, the Corinthians would gather. Okay, not, not, not really the church, but the Corinthians would gather to listen to a group of orators. Okay, um, I don't know if you've, if you've uh, ever watched this. I don't, of course, endorse this, but it's something like that. Um, have you seen some of these videos of Flip Top? Well, if you can't, you know, Ronel Lope can explain that to you, but have you seen one of those? It's something like that. You have two, you've, you've two guys, you know, you know um, rubbing themselves out and then you have a group of people in the crowd, you know, um, uh, chanting, cheering, applauding. There, are, there were a lot of oohs, ahs, depending on the, the, the oratorical skills of this guy. So in a certain extent, to a certain extent, that was what was happening during that time. And orators, look at this. If you are an orator, you don't necessarily have to say the truth. Catch it? The same thing with your influencers on TikTok. You don't necessarily have to say the truth as long as you sway and manipulate the crowd with your great oratorical skills, then you're totally fine. So skills is what matters. The way you move your hands, the way you do your gestures, the manner at which you walk, the manner at which you make eye contact with the crowd, that is what matters to them. When Paul visited the church in Corinth, to a certain extent, he started writing this letter and realized, man, there's something wrong with how you're preaching. That's why he starts having this letter right here. So the Athenians and the Corinthians would gather around these orators in theaters would pack up the theaters just to watch these orators. So this is the kind of culture that has started to welcome Paul. So the question here now is this. What does Paul do? What does Paul do? 
I mean, come to think of this. If you are in a certain city, let's say you visit a certain city and you realize, oh, the dominant, the dominant culture in the city is oratorical skills. Let, let, just give me a specific city. Let's say you go to Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam. You, are, you, are, you go to Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam. You wanted to become a missionary. And the moment you got there, you're surprised. Oh, these guys are into music or these guys are into oratorical skills. And here you are. You are about to preach. What do you do? What do you do? So normally, normally, what we would do is we would try to go to YouTube and try to learn oratorical skills ourselves. We'll try to see how, uh, uh, how, 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 how this thing plays out in their culture. So the question for Paul is this. Will he adjust his message to have a reception? The next question for Paul is this. Will Paul de-emphasize, de-emphasize some aspects of his message to have a reception for people to listen to him. These are the things that actually confront Paul. When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Look at this. With lofty speech or human wisdom. With great oratorical skills. You know, I don't know. But I think Paul was a brilliant guy. Isn't it? Paul was a brilliant guy. But I'm not quite sure with his oratorical skills how good he was if you compare him to the orators in Corinth and Athens. So that's why he says, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. Okay, so now, will he de-emphasize? Because if you start talking about human wisdom, they would, the orators would start talking about everything under the sun, everything relevant. So like, the question now for Paul is this. Will he now go to Corinth and give his own thoughts about electoral politics, whatever is relevant, about environmentalism? Will he give his own thoughts about racism and all of these things? If you ask me, just by looking at this, if I make Bisaya the answer of Paul, Paul would say, Picat. Won't do that. Not gonna cave into that. I'm not going to succumb to what the culture wants me to do. In fact, you could actually say in this context, I'm not going to succumb as a preacher to what might tickle the ears of the people in the church. That's what we see here in the lines of Paul's words. What should be dominant in the pulpit? What should be the dominant message in our pulpit? Listen. If you look at this, there is an immovable, all right, sacred standard in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. All right? There is an immovable sacred standard in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you can use this for your own preaching. Okay, down the road. Okay, and here's the first one. First is, in our preaching, we have to preach about the preeminence of Christ. We have to preach about the preeminence of Christ, meaning to say our preaching should be Christ-centered. It's centered on our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. In verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except, come on now, 
except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His preaching, the dominant message in His preaching, and I want you to catch this, is the person and the works of Christ. And friends, listen, victory dumagete. Um, if, if, if you know your Bible, you'd understand that every page of the Scripture actually points to Christ. It actually points to Christ. It talks about the person and the work of Christ. Now, does that mean, okay, wait a second. I don't think that that, that, that really adds up. Because if you come to think of this, Diba si Paul, he also, taught, he also talked about slavery. Isn't it that when you go to the book of Revelation, you have eschatology, it talks about the end times. If you talk about the, the letters of Paul, it talks about ecclesiology, how things should happen in the church. Isn't it that there's prophecy in the, in the Old Testament? So what are we saying that this is all about the personal work of Christ? Here it is. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, whether that be it prophecy, whether that be the letters of Paul, the letters of Paul is actually an appropriation of what Christ has done. The book of Revelation is actually a consummation of what will happen in the past with Christ as our Lord and Savior seated in the throne in heaven. So at the end of the day, whatever our message is, it has to find its way to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our preaching should be Christ-exalting. It has to exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. So you may be preaching in the book of Genesis. You may be preaching in the book of Exodus. At the end of the day, if you know your Bible, all of these things will still point at the highest apex of Scripture, which is our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Come to think of this. The Bible tells us that when everything is said and done, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, everyone will bow their knees before our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you think our preaching should be about Him to whom we will all bow our knees? If you look at verse 4, well, I'm just all over this verse. It says here, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Let me just tell you this. When a preacher desires to exalt Christ in his sermon, the Holy Spirit fills in and empowers him. When you desire to preach not your life, but the person and work of Christ to other people, then the Holy Spirit indeed will use you. So you don't, do, you don't come doing your one-to-one, -one, telling your friend, oh, look at me. This is, this is what has happened in my life. It all basically points to Christ. Let me just uh, say a few things for if a preacher... If a preacher, if I come up here and I keep parading my family, my wife, how wonderful my life is, if I keep parading my dogs, kids, if a preacher does that, go back to verse 2. Folks, listen, come to think of this. If someone is given... 
if someone is given 45 minutes to preach, 45 minutes to preach, and every, every ounce, every second of that 45 minutes belong to the Lord, and I use up five minutes to talk about myself? Come on now. You know what that is? That's rubbing God the glory that is due His name. If you come to a certain church and you leave the church simply impressed with how wonderful the life of the preacher or the pastor is, and you're not impressed by the glorious reality of who Christ is, then you have gone to the wrong church. A few years ago, you know, Martin uh, invited me to go to Singapore. He paid for much of it. And we decided to attend a, a, a famous church. And I was like, all right, let's go. So we tried signing up. Even before COVID, they, have, they had online registration. So we went there. And here's her assessment. My assessment, my personal assessment, not, not Martin's, of course. My assessment is the facilities is so impressive. Facilities was so impressive. The most impressive that I've ever seen. It's like a, it's like a four-story building. And we, did, we needed to take the, I think, escalator three times just to get to the main hall. Facility was, facilities was so impressive. MC came in, I thought he was the preacher. It's like, whoa. With chains on the jeans. Preacher came in and everyone, everyone was like, whoa. Started preaching. My takeaway was, skills was very impressive. Facilities was very impressive. But here's my question. Were is Christ. Where is Christ? You folks listen to a lot of preachers on YouTube, a lot of preachers on Spotify. Ask this question, where is Christ? Where is Christ? If you don't have, you know, I remember Charles Spurgeon says, no Christ in your preaching, sir? Then go home, come back when you have something worth preaching. Don't waste 45 minutes and make it a garbage time. Listen to biblical preachers, people who would preach Christ and Him crucified. Are folks with me? This will do your soul well. You know, Paul did not come to Corinth to give a political commentary. As many preachers and pastors are doing in our generation. He's not giving his thoughts on Black Lives Matter. He's not giving his thoughts on global warming. He wasn't doing any of those things. 
He wasn't going there to preach about their felt need because what he aims to preach is their, is their very deepest need, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. We preach about all of these tentacles of evil without addressing evil itself. Where we, where we understand that the only solution to evil is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I tell this to everyone? In the coming decades, in the coming years and decades, in this world, things will further spiral down. It will further spiral down. There will be more chaos, there will be more anarchy perhaps, there will be more lawlessness. The Bible says about these things. So we aren't even surprised. So what are we doing preaching about these things when we have to be preaching about the very thing that has caused all of these things? You preach against sin. You preach about the solution of sin. You preach about the only one who's going to save us from our sins. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of, testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul was reminding them about his own preaching when he first came to them. And he was reminding them that right now you are like deviating from that certain preaching. Now let me just look into this now. Look, look at this. Um, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. All right? With lofty speech or wisdom. Now, here's what we have. The world gives us these two things. Here's your method. Here's your message. Catch it? So, for the Athenians and the Corinthians, their message and method are these two things. Their method is through oratorical skills. Manipulative oratorical skills. Lofty speech. Their message is human wisdom. Alright? Human wisdom for humans' problems. Alright? So they would talk about all sorts of issues, but they will employ human wisdom. Now, for Paul, here's what Paul was proposing. For Paul, his method and message is different. It says here, his method is, come on, look at this, is proclaiming. Right? So his, his method wasn't oratorical. His method was proclaiming. Are you folks with me? Alright? So his method was preaching. When you say proclaim, when you say proclaim, it means to herald. To say something with urgency. Alright? When you say proclaim, it means to declare with the authority of God. That's what it means. That was his method. And his message was very simple. His message was the testimony of God, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. Not human wisdom. He would talk about what? He would talk about the testimony of God and Christ crucified. So, let's put it this way. Let's try to be a bit more practical for us to understand this. When Paul would stand before the Corinthians, he won't be preaching stuff like how to defeat the Goliaths in your life. 
He won't be preaching stuff like how to live your best life now, how to get promoted to work. Happy wife, happy life. That's not the content of his preaching. The content of his preaching is not you, you, you walk into your blessing. It wasn't like that. It's all been in you in the first place. That's not the title of his preaching. And I bet you've heard many of these kinds of preaching on YouTube. Your algorithm on YouTube gives you that. You know what his preaching was? Jesus, period. That was the content of the preaching of Paul. 9 a.m. service. Method and message matter to God. It matters to the Lord. We've got to get it right. When we start talking about human wisdom, it says here, lofty speech and human wisdom, it talks about different kinds of what? The different principles uh, that the orators and philosophers would have or give or prescribe to their listeners to solve human problems. Can I tell you something about how God hates human wisdom? This is how God hates human wisdom. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, look at this one, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That's why God used fishermen in the first place, and schooled ones. I'm going to go to that later after I say a few things. If you come to look at this, the Jews asked Jesus, I mean, the Jews asked for signs, right? The Greeks asked for wisdom. I want to repeat that. The Jews asked for signs. The Greeks asked for wisdom. Paul gave them Christ. not sophisticated, it's not complex, it's simple. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me just look into this now. First is the word proclaiming. That's your method. Okay? That's your method. That's your style of preaching, proclaiming. Would you tell your seatmate for a while, proclaim? Listen, everyone, look up here for a while. Look at this. Bible never tells you to share the gospel. Hello? Bible tells us to preach the gospel. That's why the world looks at you like a fool. 
it's not just sharing. There, there, there's nothing of that in that in the, in the, in the Bible. It says for us to preach the gospel. If it has changed your life, you will preach it. Remember how, have you, have you noticed this? Have you seen people, how excited they are every time they talk about a certain Netflix series that they're watching now? Their, their eyes light up. They become redundant. They can't get over it. If the gospel didn't they change our life, don't you think we should be doing the same? Or you're just a religious person? Baka 10 years ka na sa church, hindi ka pa pala saved. Sana wag naman akala mo Christian ka. Akala mo lang. Proclaiming testimony of God. You know what these two things are? Here's what biblical preaching is. Biblical preaching is preaching and exposition. Preaching and exposition. If you have, if it's all preaching with no exposition, then you're just passionate. Maingay ka lang, communicator ka lang, magaling ka lang magsalita. Pero walang laman, pulbura yung message. You have a lot of those, you have a lot of those in YouTube, good communicators. Then you're just passionate, but there's nothing in there. It's not my sole responsibility for you to know what God's Word teaches or says. If you're a Christian, that you have to be in your Word, in God's Word. Now, if it's all exposition, if it's all exposition, it's all explanation. This is what Isaiah says. The vision of Isaiah. If it's if it's all explanation, exposition, and there's no preaching. Then you become a stoic, boring person, preacher, for that matter. Method, message matters. Don't come to me and tell me, oh, doesn't really matter how I preach it. As long as I preach it faithfully, I did my hermeneutics, I do I did my hermeneutics, but guess what? You have to do your preaching, your homiletics. That, that, that's what we have here. That's what. That's what Paul is teaching us. You combine preaching, you combine heralding, you combine proclamation with the testimony of God, with exposition. What do you have? A powerful preaching. It's like gas and lighter brought together. It's going to set things on fire. Look at verse 2. For I decided to know nothing. Everybody say nothing. Paul was like, I come to you and I don't have any message. 
other than Jesus and Him crucified. Logically, tama nga naman kasi si Paul. Because what will save us? Who will save us? Who will change you? Who tells you about your identity? Who changes your values? Who clothes you with righteousness? It's Christ alone. So why, why preach about here are the principles to become a better husband? Where in fact, all of these things that we're talking about is simply a gospel issue. So what do we do now? We preach the gospel. He says, I, I, I decided, I decided. When I say I decided, it's a conscious effort. It's not like, um, I don't have anything to say. Yung pang one-to-one na lang. No, that was his own decision. He made a conscious effort that the manner at which I'm going to preach and the message that I'm going to preach is this one. I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What does it mean? Paul did not go there to give them motivational pep talks. Paul was very clear. I am not a TED Talk teacher. I am not a TED Talk speaker. I am a preacher of God's Word. Paul did not go on the pulpit talk about human psychology. He didn't go there telling them about positive thinking. He didn't go there out of sentimentalism or, or emotionalism, which a lot of Christians are into right now. We look for something that's owie, heartwarming, but never heart-changing. Why do we always want something that warms the heart when what we need is something that will change us from the inside out? And it's only the gospel. Only the gospel of Christ. Paul went there, friends, as a preacher. As a preacher, not a life coach, not a marriage guru. but as a preacher of God's word. His message is the person and work of Christ. So what was dominant in the pulpit of Paul? That Jesus is Lord and Christ. That Jesus is the Son of Man. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the apex of scriptures. That the gospel gives us a picture of the person and the work of Christ. That the book of Acts is the propagation of the work of Christ that has started in the gospel. That the epistles, the letters, are the appropriation of the person and the work of Christ. That the book of Revelation gives us a picture of the consummation of everything. That when Christ comes back, He will get all the glory for Himself. That when you go to the Old Testament, this, all of these things simply point to Christ. That is what biblical theology is. It's all about Christ. For the word of the cross is folly. NIV says, for the message of the cross 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 1:18 is foolishness to those who are perishing. Here's my question. You're preaching in your workplace, in the youth service, in Sunday services, in your classmates on Zoom. Here's my question. Is your preaching still foolishness? Is it still foolishness? Is, the, is it still foolishness to the world? You know what the opposite of foolishness here, at least in this context here it is? Relevant. We always want to make our message so relevant and relatable. No, if you come to look at this, if you come to look at that, um, we, if our message is always relevant and relatable, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about finance. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about uh, how we're going to talk about uh, 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 manhood, womanhood. We're going to talk about all of these things. Whereas Paul is suggesting, when was the last time we've talked about penal substitution? When was the last time we've talked about the finished work of Christ on the cross? When was the last time we've preached hell to our friends? When was the last time we preached eternal damnation apart from Christ? When was the last time we glorified Christ in our preaching? This is what Paul is telling us. Spurgeon says that our sermons, our preaching should be fullest of Christ. Sa preaching natin, si Jesus ang bida. Amen? Jesus po ang bida. Please make sure of that. Please make sure of that as you disciple other people. Please make sure si Jesus ang bida. Stop self-promoting. Sa preaching natin, huwag na tayong mag-alsa ng sariling bangko. Because only Christ has to be exalted. So when you craft your preachings for one-to-one, ask this question, where is Christ here? How does this point to Christ? How will Christ be glorified? He says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear, I'm going to end with this, and much trembling. He says, My speech and my message were not impossible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And rightly so, if you look at this, he was imprisoned in Philippi. He was beaten in Thessalonica. He was actually, you know, scoffed at in Athens. He was smacked he was weakened. So at the end of the day, he understood one thing. He realized the seriousness of preaching the gospel. The true gospel. Kung preaching, preaching lang, pwede ka namang, you can get a lot of followers if you preach what people want to hear. But if you preach the true gospel of Christ, the testimony of God, you will be scoffed at. You will be frowned upon. 
And that is basically what happened to Paul. He realized the, enor- the enormity of the task, the seriousness of the task. He realized, friends, that preaching is not just presentation. Preaching is not just it's not the same with their with our with our report back in college. It's far different. And I want us to understand this as we end. Not all preaching is the same. Tell your seatmate farewell. Not all preaching is the same. And the truth of the matter is, we do not need more preaching. But listen carefully. But we need less preaching of a certain kind. We need less preaching of a certain kind. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Look at this one. It says here, when he preaches, he relies on the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not on gimmicks or techniques. Not on oratorical skills. Not in tricking his audience. He goes there not to give them pragmatic lessons about certain things in life. But he gives them what they badly need. And that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews gives us a list of the hall of faith, right? Abraham did this, and so and so did this, so and so did this. The conclusion of that, do we say something like, so we have to revere these guys? No, it says, so in the same way, in the same way, it says, fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on Christ. Because only Jesus will change our mindset. Only the gospel will change our identity. Only the gospel will change our values. And it's going to affect every single other issues in our life. But we need to deal first and foremost with the very first thing. And that is the gospel. The solution to our very own problem. And let me just end with this. If you notice verses 1 to 5. Look at verses 1 to 5. Do I have a slide that has all five verses on it? Look at verse 1. It says, in verse 1, it has this one. I realized this by looking at these five verses. I look at this and I realize, man, I was like, wow. Indeed, this is a pattern of preaching. No wonder God prescribed this through Paul. You have three, the three Godheads. In that five verses, our preaching should be God-centered. Our preaching should be Christ-centered. Our preaching should be Spirit-empowered. At the end of the day, our preaching should be Trinitarian. It has to exalt the Godhead. It has to exalt God the Father. It has to exalt Christ the Son. It has to exalt the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace in our life. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that would enable us down the road to stick to what matters the most. 
and that is your gospel, God. You have called us, Lord, to preach your word, to preach the gospel, so that, God, our faith might not rest on any man because so-and-so invited me, because so-and-so did this to me, because the church has a great facility, has a great program. Lord, none of that. But Lord, we will look to you as the giver of life, of spiritual life, as the one who has redeemed us, Lord. And God, I pray that you would raise preachers in this church, men who will take on the mantle of leadership and preach your word faithfully. In a manner, Lord, that would exalt your name and give you the glory, God. And as we go on with our personal lives and businesses, as we go out there to preach the gospel to our neighbor, to our friends, to our workmates, to our classmates, I pray, Lord, that we will preach the unfiltered, message of your word not to accommodate listeners not to make the message attractive but in order for you to move in their lives grace every single preaching that we will do Lord to our families Lord and to the people around us not relying on our own wisdom or intellect, but on your power, God. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we just give God praises for this? Come on. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.